0: Let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, one of the most precious, glorious, and potent verses in the entire Bible. So much is crammed into one single sentence that's only one verse long, and we ought to give it our sincere and devoted attention. We do not have to be long. I could preach one message on each of the six points in the 16th verse, but you might get lost then examining the bark on the trees and not see the forest that we have before us and that's the glory of Christ. So let's cover the first three this morning and the second three this evening without taking too long. 1st Timothy chapter 3 I want to read to you the last three verses of this chapter. These things write I unto thee hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels. Preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Amen Amen. Amen and amen. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world received up into glory." What a glorious sentence we have. We call this a pastoral epistle because Paul was writing to another pastor. The other epistles of the New Testament are called general epistles because the authors were writing to churches at large so that what is written there applies to all of us. But First and Second Timothy and Titus are pastoral epistles because the instructions deal primarily with pastors and their duties in the house of God. Paul says in verse 14 that he wrote these things. His intentions were to come soon to see Timothy, but if he didn't get there soon, that Timothy would have a written manual on how he ought to behave himself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Paul is solemnifying the importance of these instructions to Timothy. It is very important, Timothy, how you conduct yourself in the church of God because it's God's house. It's where God dwells, and it's the church of the living God. The words, the living God, should remind us of Hebrews 10:31, where the Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And here, Paul is showing how important it is for Timothy to pay attention to these instructions by referring to the church as the congregation or the church of the living God. And he then adds which is the pillar and ground of the truth. The church that I've instructed you on how to conduct yourself within is the house of God, it's the church or the congregation of the living God, and it is the pillar and ground of the truth. The ground is the foundation for a building, and pillars help support the building. The church is to support and help and defend the truth. And so that brings us to our 16th verse. Our religion is wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ and this sentence tells us six wonderful things about him. It is hard to rank these six things in importance. I would tell you that they all six individually considered are great. And we, I hope you will believe that before the day is over. Each one of them is very great. In this one sentence we have a glorious description of the Son of God and of the truth that we are to defend. We are to hear it It should be preached regularly from this pulpit. We are to believe it. We are to hold it fast. And we are to defend it against any that would question it, demean it, or deny it. Because the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And here is the truth summarized in one verse. So we come to the verse. And it starts off with the word and. And that and connects us to what we just read in 15. Because this is the truth that the church is to be the pillar and support of. This is the truth that the church is to believe, to obey, to defend, to teach, and to promote in the earth. We cannot take for granted or take lightly our responsibility to not only know the truth, but to promote it and to teach it and to defend it. And I hope we will. The Bible tells us that we ought to earnestly contend for the faith, that was once delivered to the saints and this is that faith that was once delivered you don't get this faith anywhere else but by special delivery and the special delivery is from God through his word and through his ministers and they have carried it to the Gentiles and here we are on the opposite side of the earth from Israel of old and we have this glorious message and we believe it it has been believed on in the world Because we are in the world. We are not part of the Commonwealth of Israel, and we are far away from that place. And we want to hold it fast and defend it. And so we have the word and that connects these two verses together because Paul is just throwing out, by the inspiration of God, one glorious sentence of truth to remind Timothy of what a precious treasure he, as a minister, has and the church has. We keep the truth in the earth by being strict in how we obey it and believe it and defend it. That's why heresies, when they come, we are going to cut them off and get them out of this church because we want to be the pillar and ground of the truth, not of anything else. Without controversy, those words should be simple, without a doubt, there's no questioning this matter. The six things I'm about to list to you, Timothy, are of great importance and there is no discussion about it. Don't try to tell me there are other things. These six things are very important. Now Paul likes to write that way to Timothy. He likes to promote and strengthen his son's heart in the ministry. Don't you know that in chapter one he's already said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation? Mm -hmm. That sounds like another matter that was without controversy. And that is that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, which is embodied in ours. But not said directly so there's no controversy about this matter no man should be allowed to demean or neglect what we have right here in verse 16 great it is great what is in verse 16 and without controversy great you know when we started Psalm 45 which we read earlier this morning which is a psalm about the Lord Jesus Christ and one of the most precious Chapters of the Old Testament about Jesus of Nazareth. We started that first verse with my heart is indicting a good matter Because what the psalmist wanted to write about was great. It was the mighty prince of God himself and his eternal throne and his relationship with his church and the praise of which he is so worthy But it's great all six facts are great There's no greater text, truth, or mystery that the church has than what we're about to read. Many churches today a man is going to stand who calls himself a priest and he's going to say this is the mystery of our faith and he's going to bring God down from his throne onto his altar and and turn a cracker into God. That is the, the heresy of transubstantiation of the Roman Catholic Church. But this is the mystery of our faith. That's no mystery. That's a heretical lie. That's hocus pocus of a liar when he says hocus corpus meum which they no longer say because they say it in English this is my body. That's a lie. This is the mystery of our faith. And now we come to the word mystery. That doesn't mean we can't understand it. That doesn't mean it can't be preached. That doesn't mean it can't be understood. It just means if it hadn't been for God showing it to you, you wouldn't know it. Man cannot discover it by human reason. It's not revealed in nature. You get the biggest telescope you want and examine any star of your choice. It's not gonna tell you these six things. You get a rose and a microscope and look at its petals in detail. It will not tell you these six things. You can put men together, educate them as much as you want, let them sit in the same room, smoke the same weed, and see if they can come up with anything like this and they will be unable to. They can open their minds with all sorts of chemical alteration and they will never come close to this sentence. You say, why do you always talk about universities and marijuana together in the same sentences? That's where marijuana is used. Don't you know that? Where do you think the preponderance of smokers are? But in our universities, because they go hand in hand. Either you give your soul to the devil by education, or you give your soul to the devil by opening it up with marijuana, or you do it with both and get there in a hurry. That's where they smoke it. I grew up near Ann Arbor, Michigan. What do you think the students of the University of Michigan do? They go together. Where are the bright ideas that are being taught in our universities, where do you think they came from? God? noble men wanting to lift the human race or too much weed in a conference room with students who thought they knew something Enough of that enough about that This is a mystery To them They know nothing about it. It's not a mystery to us. It's been revealed and we're thankful for it. These are six facts These are six solid facts These are six historical events. They don't even know about them. They can sit between puffs and write volumes 800 pages long about the history of man, and do you know what? These six events are not even in the book. They can't even get the six most important events into their 800-page tomb. Literally, it's a tomb of their writings. But this is no mystery to us it's been revealed and brethren this treasure has been given to us to keep to delight in to rejoice in to promote and to defend it when anyone questions or denies any of these things it's no mystery it's a fact and these are historical events it says it's a mystery of godliness godliness here is a word that is used to stand in place of religion the worship of god Remember, the Bible says they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They have a religious form, but they don't have any teeth in it from the Bible. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. I hope you understand those words. It's no mystery to us. These are historical facts and historical events. They've been revealed to us plainly and we love each one of them. Now let's look at them. God was manifest in the flesh. Amen. Brethren, you and I arrive like a wild ass is cold. Yep. I know it's not very flattering and it may not be politically correct to say from the pulpit and it may not be good pulpit manner that you got here like a wild ass is cold. But if Job were preaching by the inspiration of God, that's what he'd tell you because that's what's written in Job 11:12. 12. And you know what? We leave the same way, except their spirit goes down and ours goes up to the God that created it. That's what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes. And in between, we move through this world with a heart that is fully depraved and deceitful above all things. That is all mankind. Every single one that has ever lived gets here like a wild ass's colt, leaves here like a wild ass's colt, and is more depraved than a wild ass's colt, while they're here but there was one exception there was one exception God came down and indwelt a human body and walked on this planet for 33 and a half years God was manifest in the flesh we believe the King James Bible and we trust it because of faith and fruit and we're not going to chase that point this morning but when we read as the six points are unloaded by Paul on Timothy and the first word is God we hold to the word God we don't care about the NIV the NASV the new revised standard version they call it a standard but there is no standard because they change it every year they started in 1901 with the American standard version but they quickly changed it in 52 with the revised standard version and then we've got the new American Standard Version, and now we have the new Revised Standard Version. They just keep coming out with a new version all the time. But it's the, old, it's the same old thing. It's the lie of the devil in the Garden of Eden that said to Eve, Yea, hath God said? Are you sure that's the way it's supposed to read? How do you know it's supposed to read that way? Are you sure that's what God meant? How about if I give you a better interpretation of it? thou shalt not surely die. That's a better interpretation from the higher critics of the better schools that have your best interest at heart. What does the Bible say? God. What do their versions say? He, who, or which. Because they want to get rid of the fact that Jesus Christ is God. There has been a continual attack from the beginning of this world to attack the full deity of Jesus Christ. And we're not going to allow it, not even in one word. Amen. And I'm thankful for a Bible that for 400 years has always read the same way. God was manifest in the flesh, because our Lord Jesus Christ is truly God. Men and devils have attacked the point, and they still attack it, but Jesus Christ is God. He is God blessed forever, Romans 9:5. He is the mighty God, Isaiah 7:14 and Isaiah 9:6. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 7:14 and Matthew 1:23. What does Emmanuel mean? But God with us. That's what we believe about our Lord Jesus Christ. A man walked this earth for 33 and a half years that was God in the flesh. Incredible. Amen. You don't find that in any university. You don't find that looking at nature. That is by revelation. Let's look briefly at the revelation, since you know the point well. John chapter one. Anyone who wants refreshment on this point can go look at a sermon entitled Jesus is Jehovah. Well, there were three of them. They can go look at the sonship of Jesus Christ. There were a few of them. They can go look at the preaching on Colossians chapter two that we did a few months ago and be reminded about all of these things. Jesus is God, but God came down to earth And we have a a message. Now the pagans have always had gods and lords, many, as the apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Pagans have always had so many gods and lords and ideas. I mean, when they really get creative, and I'll not refer to what they have to use to get creative again, but when they really get creative, they got the upper half of a man's body and the lower half is the body of an ox. Now that's an exciting creature. And, you know, they look to something like that and they'll worship it and they'll worship Venus that fell down from heaven and the statue of Venus and Jupiter and so forth. You know, we read, we read about those things in the book of Acts. You know, poor Demetrius over there at Ephesus was all upset because the apostle came along and had preached the truth. He had preached this verse and all of a sudden people didn't want to worship his little silver statues anymore. Can you blame them? Who wants to worship a little statue? God was manifest in the flesh. Look at John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, verse 1. And the Word was God and was with God, and the Word was God. Let's read it again, since I didn't tell you the verse. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That verse is answered with the doctrine of the Trinity. He was God, and he was with God. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. It says in verse 14, and the Word was made flesh. That Word took on a human nature, a human body, a human soul, and a human spirit. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Never before in the history of the universe had God had a son and we beheld this only begotten Son of God because he was begotten in a very unique way by the Holy Ghost coming upon a virgin woman and the power of God overshadowing her and she brought forth a son in human flesh look at verse 18 no man hath seen God at any time the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father he hath declared him. The son is in the bosom of the father when John wrote these words, but that son was on earth, and John beheld him, touched him, heard him, ate with him, saw him, watched him move while he was here. In fact, John wanted to be closest to him at supper and lay on his bosom. God was made flesh. God joined a human nature and walked this earth. They can have all their pagan ideas. This is truth that we want to always defend. Look at Luke chapter one, and let us be reminded of that virgin birth, because poor Mary was troubled by it, and we should see the answer that was given to her by her mother, by her cousin, or by an angel. Mary said to the angel in verse 34 that's just told her she's gonna have a son, how shall this be seeing I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. I know that you believe it, but we want to remember it. We want to remember that a man walked on this earth that was born without the contribution of an earthly father. There was no sperm cell with this man. This was of the seed of the woman by the power of God, and he was called God's son as a result of it, and he was God in the flesh. All that there is in the Godhead was in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and joined together so that they were one person, yet the Godhead was not diluted, and neither was the humanity destroyed, but that was the God-man, a full human nature, and fully God, Jehovah God, Don't get confused about Allah or some other idea of God. Jehovah became flesh. Not a creature. Jehovah became flesh. Not God of God, but Jehovah, God himself, became flesh. That is our our mystery that's been revealed to us, and we understand it. God became flesh and walked this planet. He was a baby. He was a little boy. He was a young man. He was a fully grown man. And he gave his life. God was manifest in the flesh. We've looked at it many times before. He fully partook of our nature. He did not partake of an angelic nature. Fully a human nature. Body, soul, and spirit. He is able to commiserate with us in all of our temptations because he suffered them as well in that human nature. Therefore we can go boldly to him knowing that he's able to help us because he's been there, done that, anything that you that you do without sin and you happen to sin he had the temptation to sin but didn't now there was a heresy in these days first of all the Jews denied that Jesus was the Messiah of God and they suffered rather severely for it then there was another heresy and that is that this Jesus Christ was an apparition he was a spiritual angelic sort of a being but not really flesh and blood which denies the full atonement because unless we have a man that stood in our place and died of flesh and blood death for us, death is still upon us and the sentence of death is still upon us. Therefore, when we come to 1 John chapter 4, it says here you can tell the spirit of Antichrist. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. John was dealing with that heresy when he used those words. The Gnostics denied that God actually became human flesh. That's just impossible. Well, no, it isn't, because the Bible says it's true. And we just believe it by faith. And that faith is stronger than if we had something we could see with these two eyes. Because if I gave Matthew two minutes, and even Kevin these days, if I gave Matthew and Kevin a couple of minutes, they could deceive your little eyeballs. But faith in the word of God cannot be deceived. We believe what God has said. God was manifest in the flesh. A human body, soul, and spirit just like ours. And we do not compromise that at all. And because of that, we have a merciful and faithful high priest that can take care of any need you'll ever have. That's right. And because he fully took part of our nature when he died on the cross, he died a substitutionary death for all those of the same nature that God had given him a charge for. God was manifest in the flesh. Now here's the problem. Here's why you don't get excited. You've heard this all your life and it hasn't been lifted up as high as it should have been. And so you, what you're saying to yourself is, I already knew that. If it wasn't for this book, you wouldn't know one thing about Jesus of Nazareth. Outside of this book, there are a couple of obscure references by Josephus and a couple of other authors that don't do a thing. You wouldn't know one thing about Jesus of Nazareth. Those obscure references would never have been raised if it wouldn't have been for men believing this book, looking back for some other references to prove to unbelievers that Jesus did exist. There's nothing. He came into this world and he left this world and there is no historical record of him except right here. And that he was believed on in the world. But that's for tonight, so we can't cheat. You wouldn't know a thing. And you ought to be excited what I just told you. God, Jehovah, I am that I am. That eternal, immortal, invisible God came to earth and walked. He came through a woman's womb. A woman had a baby, and it was Jehovah. What do I say? How do I describe it when Mary gave birth to that baby? When Mary went into labor, and she felt the urge to push, and Jehovah was about to come into the world as the Son of God, incredible. Do you know what was happening at that very moment? There wasn't a waiting room full of wild asses colt celebrating. Let all the angels of God worship him. Yep. And they burst forth over the fields of Judea, let me tell you, and they worshiped that baby that had just been brought forth in a stable where he was put in a manger. And he went out of this world 33 years later and hardly anyone gives him any attention. That is a fact that we have and we're never going to let go of it. Jehovah came into this world. Why would he stoop so low to come into this world between a woman's legs? and come out into this world like a wild ass's colt is born the same way we were? Why would he do that? But because he loved his wife and needed to do that to make her beautiful so that he could greatly desire her beauty and spend eternity with her. God was manifest in the flesh. I wish right now what you had done yesterday was hunt monkeys with blowguns and had never heard this before so that I could preach it to you for the first time. Maybe you'd get excited you know, right now you're looking at me like, we've heard this 50 times before. I know, and I'm you're going to hear it 50 more times if he gives me breath, and we're together in the same church. Because we're the pillar and ground of the truth, and we better be excited about this. Mm-hmm. This is wonderful information. You would not know this. You'd, you'd be believing in a Big Bang Theory, That's right. that your grandparents were monkeys, and their grandparents was muck. You wouldn't have a clue about anything you'd face death in terror you would have no hope beyond the grave we've got everything brethren and it's all based on this sentence and the first point is God was manifest in the flesh but let's keep moving first Timothy three sixteen. God was manifest in the flesh there's more but you're gonna have to go to the outline what does it say next justified in the spirit justified in the spirit was he born in a stable is that very impressive justification in the Bible can mean to make someone righteous does God justify us that way he makes us righteous justification is also used in the Bible to declare or prove a righteous person to be righteous for instance a judge weighs the case between two men and justifies the righteous and condemns the wicked now the righteous was already righteous but the judge declares, this man is right. And the Bible uses the word that way. For instance, I believe it was last Sunday evening when I showed you Luke 7, 29, that the publicans justified God. Well, did God need to be made righteous? No, he already was righteous. But what does it mean when they justified God? They showed him to be righteous by submitting themselves as being wicked to the, doctrine of, to the ordinance of baptism. By doing that, and by confessing their sins, they declared, God is right, I am wrong, therefore I'm going into the waters of baptism to wash my sins away by an emblem, a figure, because I want to justify God as being the only righteous being in the universe, and what he has said about me, I have failed, I'm a sinner. I gotta move on. So that when when we read the words justified in the spirit, we mean the Holy Spirit declared and proved God manifests in the flesh to be Jehovah God and the Son of God by various means and ways. Let's look at those ways in which the Holy Spirit justified and proved Jesus to be the Son of God. How did the Son of God come into being? But by the Holy Ghost coming upon Mary. So from the very beginning, the Holy Ghost was involved in justifying Jesus Christ. What could Mary tell about her firstborn son for the rest of her life? If anyone asked her. Can you, can you, listen, I would. I'm curious enough, and I I know this brother would. You know, he would invite her over for supper. And he'd want to ask, are you you didn't know a man before Jesus was born? And she would say, No, I never got near one. Joseph and I had had been looking at each other at getting married, and and he had proposed to me and I had agreed, but we hadn't come together at all. We weren't allowed to get together like that. We're not like you people. There wasn't a chance. The Holy Spirit had already taken care of that because it was the Holy Spirit that caused that conception and justified Jesus Christ and his birth as being of a totally different character than any other man that ever walked this planet. Mm -hmm. But let's keep moving. When Jesus was carried by his parents after 40 days to Jerusalem to be dedicated, did the Holy Spirit do anything at that event? Was there a man there named Simeon? What had Simeon been told and who told him? He had been told by the Holy Spirit, you're not going to die before you've seen the Savior. And the Holy Spirit said, get up, old man, and get yourself into the temple today. Oh, can you imagine Simeon? Can you imagine Simeon getting up that morning with the Holy Spirit telling him to get into the temple? And he goes in the temple and he's, he's examining the crowd and all of a sudden here comes a poor little carpenter with his little wife. But they're look at their faces. Look at this little baby boy they've got. And the Holy Spirit says, that's him right there. And he goes over and asks for permission to hold that little baby. And we can read it in Luke chapter 2 beginning at verse 25. He holds that baby and he knows that he's holding the Lord of glory. And he says to God, now thy servant can depart in peace. I have seen thy salvation. Go ahead and let me die right here on the spot because I've seen the savior of the world, Jesus Christ, the Lord, who will deliver me from death. I can die in peace. I've seen the Lord of glory. And he was holding a 40 day old baby. And why was he there? By the Holy Spirit. Everybody listening, what did Mary think? about what he had to say it said Mary kept all these things in her heart and pondered them because she couldn't she was still being taken by surprise by all these things that were being said about her baby no sooner had Simeon set that baby back in Mary's arms than Anna came in at that very moment powered by the Holy Spirit and lifted up her voice and proclaimed redemption to anyone that was looking for redemption it's right here by the power of the Holy Spirit give God the glory that boy grew up and was 30 years of age, and he went out to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist said, you need to baptize me. Now, I don't want to baptize you. And Jesus said, for right now, let's fulfill all righteousness. I want to give a holy example. And the Holy Spirit said to John, right, th- right then, you want me to prove it? It's John chapter 1 and verse 32. The one that you baptize and the Holy Ghost comes down on the form of a dove. You can know. That was your whole purpose for existence. John chapter one, verse 32. He takes Jesus out in the water. They were cousins, but it didn't matter to John. John knew what he was touching right then. And he laid Jesus Christ beneath that water, but the Lord took care of the rest. He rose straightway up out of the water. Heaven was opened. The Spirit of God descended like a dove upon him, and God the Father thundered out of heaven. This is my beloved son. Now, brethren, these are facts. These are facts and you have to go to school. If you go to any public institution, they never tell you about these facts. They want to tell you about things that aren't facts. They want to tell you things they guess at, but this is a fact. The heavens opened and God thundered from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Amen. And the spirit of God was there to confirm and John knew that he had just baptized the Lord of glory. I hope you can see that the Holy Spirit justified Jesus Christ, declaring him to be righteous. I am well pleased from the righteous God. He was a righteous man, our Lord Jesus Christ. Immediately he was driven by what? Into the wilderness to be tempted and tried for 40 days, but victoriously by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness, knowing that he would give him the power because he was upon him, without measure to defeat the devil and he did defeat the devil he turned him away and said get thee behind me satan i read about the lord jesus christ that he was anointed with the holy ghost above all others when he opened his mouth could any man gainsay him when he was asked a question could he answer that question so they didn't want to ask the next one Mm -hmm. could he answer all questions with a thorough answer that would rejoice the hearts of all that heard that were noble Yes. yes he could God had given him the tongue of the learned by the Holy Ghost. Did he have the power to perform miracles? Could he raise the dead, calm a stormy sea, feed a multitude from a few loaves and fishes? He was justified in the Spirit. He had the power of the Holy Spirit like never before. Had it ever been seen, nor would it ever be fully seen like that again, because Jesus Christ had an unlimited measure of the Spirit of God. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, by what power did he rise? By the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter one and verse four, whom he, ra- let's, let's read it, Romans chapter one and verse four, because it's, it's a direct statement about being justified in the spirit. Romans one, three, refers to our first point from 1 Timothy three, God was manifest in the flesh. Look what Romans one, three says. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Mary was a daughter of David. Jesus was made of the seed of David. Jesus was in David's loins a long time before, 1,000 years before. He was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. But look at verse 4 and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Because it was the resurrection from the dead that fully declared him to be the son of God with power and God's only begotten son. Jesus was crucified under a charge of blasphemy. And he died. He who had said he was the son of God died. So how do, how do we vindicate or justify him to truly be God in the flesh? Rise from the dead. Amen. In the very time frame that you said you would rise from the dead, by the power of the spirit of holiness, and that declared him to be the son of God. That is when God said, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That is when that was fulfilled. That event is Psalm 2. That event is Hebrews chapter 2, when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and shown to be the Son of God. That is when those words were fulfilled. Acts 13 tells us that. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, because Jesus is the first begotten of the dead. Amen. He declared unto the universe, I have begotten you from the dead, thou art my son. This isn't an idea of speculation on the part of your pastor. I'm not turning you to Acts 13. It's very plainly declared there as the Apostle Paul takes Psalm 2 and applies it to the resurrection from the dead. Justified in the Spirit. Jesus had said that when I'm glorified, I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit. And what was the purpose of the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit exist for in the world? To testify of Jesus Christ to keep giving justifying evidence of Jesus Christ and what happened seven days after Jesus Christ ascended up on high he poured out the Holy Ghost and there was Peter who had once been afraid to admit that he knew anything about Jesus of Nazareth declaring that Jesus Christ was indeed Lord and Christ the promised Lord of David Jehovah in the flesh the Messiah the Christ of God and that this outpouring of the Holy Spirit is what he had promised. He is Lord in Christ. Look around, can't you tell? As he told all those men on the day of Pentecost. Because the Spirit was still justifying Jesus Christ. And he kept, he kept justifying Jesus Christ from there on out. We just looked at 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 recently, where there are three things that bear witness in earth. The blood, the water, and the Spirit. And these three agree in one. What do they agree about? Jesus Christ is the Son of God because the Spirit is still testifying today. Why am I gripped with 1 Timothy 3.16? Why do you want to hear about it? The Spirit of God is still bearing witness to Jesus Christ of Nazareth to this very day, justified in the Spirit. He was laid in a manger. He died as a blasphemer. Did anyone come to his rescue and vindicate him? The Holy Spirit, no man, but the Holy Spirit of God from beginning to end. Vindicated him with powerful miracles, a Holy Ghost descending in the form of a dove, raising him from the dead and making Peter the most powerful preacher on the day of Pentecost to declare that Jesus Christ was Lord and he's still at it. The same work, the purpose of the Holy Spirit. These churches that get all excited about worshiping the Holy Spirit, have missed the purpose for the existence of the Holy Spirit in the church. And that's the testify of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. What does the verse say next? Scene of angels. Scene of angels. Men don't think Jesus of Nazareth is important enough for worship. The elect angels do, and the fallen angels do, but men don't. Here's an indictment of our race. He was seen of angels. Did the angels take an interest in the Lord Jesus Christ? They heard about these things going on. Can you imagine the angels talking in council after Gabriel had been sent down to talk to Joseph and Mary? Do you think they counted nine months off? Do you think they understand human gestation? Do you think they were excited about it? They were, if you don't know. They desire to look into these things. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. The angels were involved in the life of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth from the very beginning to the very end, and they still are. They're gathered around his throne right now. And when you go into Revelation chapter 5, that it's numbered for you there, isn't it? 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands they there worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ because they know that it's a most important event that he ought to be considered and adored and worshiped but we men as a race the race of humanity gives him no regard this is an indictment of our race it's a horrible indictment he was seen of angels they were interested in him even though men weren't brethren what appeared to Matt, to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 When Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, can you imagine that horrifying news? He knew that she was pure and a wonderful virgin of Israel. And he gets news that Mary's pregnant. And he's trying to figure out what he ought to do to her. And an angel appears to him. An angel isn't going to let anything happen to the mother of the Lord. The angels were involved. Then an an angel went and told Mary about it. We know about that. We've already referred to it under the point justified in the spirit. Angels declared his conception to Joseph and Mary. Angels announced his glorious arrival to shepherds in a field. Do you remember those words? Look at Luke chapter 2 with me. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. Luke 2, 8. Do you remember these words? And there were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, their eyes heavy with sleep, And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And look what it says next. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, and what a chorus it would have been. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Was he seen of angels? We're just getting to that point. They haven't seen him yet. What do you think they went after the shepherds' fields? Who got there first? Shepherds or the angels? Angels. The angels got there first. We've learned that from Daniel, haven't we? That angels can move fast. He was seen of angels. When the Lord Jesus Christ was driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. What is the devil? A fallen angel. What did the other angels do about it? They appeared there in the wilderness to comfort to strengthen him. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 13. He was seen of angels. They watched what a man, that a man could resist the devil. They watched. They had never seen that before. And they comforted and strengthened him there in the wilderness. The Bible tells us that. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, who was there comforting him again. Angels came from heaven and comforted him. Brethren, you think about it. He was seen of angels. Heaven thought he was important. Earth doesn't. Isn't that incredible? Do you know how close he was to the angels? Do you know how much the angels were interested in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know why he would say as he stood on trial, don't you know that I could ask right now, for 72,000 angels and they'd split this place wide open and deliver me out of your hands. The angels that had been involved in his life from beginning to end. Can't I ask for 12 legions right now and they would come to my rescue? Because he had angels serving him his entire existence. We're only told about a few. Let me just tell you this. When Jesus met Nathaniel, Jesus said, Nathanael, Thou art an Israelite indeed, and there's no guile in your heart. Nathanael said, How do you know me? Jesus said, I saw you sitting under the fig tree two miles away. Nathanael submitted to him that he was indeed his Lord. Jesus said, This is only the beginning. You're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon me. You're gonna see my life so protected by my guardians from heaven that nothing will happen to me until I lay down my life. You will see the power of God upon me far greater than recognizing you two miles away under a fig tree. Because like of Jacob of old in his dream, the angels of God are gonna be ascending and descending, running back and forth between me and God, supporting me and helping me in all that I do. So when we read about Jesus passing through a multitude and no man could touch him, what do you envision? Do you envision a corridor made by flaming fire, with drawn swords that no man could penetrate, though they could not see it? Because the angels were always around the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven was interested in him, but few men are interested in him. The women, early in the morning, cold and damp, dew was all over the ground, it's still dark. The women rushed to the tomb, because they want to anoint the body of their Lord. On the way there, they begin thinking rationally, who's gonna move that huge stone away that we watched rolled in front of that tomb? Who rolled it away for them, brethren? There were angels there sitting on it, the finished job of having opened that tomb and rolled those stones away. And they said, women, what are you here looking for? He's risen, just like he told you. Why are you at so surprised? Didn't, we, didn't he tell you that over and over? We heard him. Didn't you hear him? Brethren, the angels were there. He was seen of angels. They watched for the 72nd hour. They saw the Holy Spirit raise that body from the dead. They were there. They rolled the stone away. They stood back as their blessed Lord walked out, and men deny him. But not the angels of heaven. Every time that Lord Jesus Christ appeared in the presence of a fallen angel, what did they do? They ran. They ran to him and worshipped him. They know the truth about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They know he is Jehovah in the flesh. Do you understand that? Why do men take it so lightly? Why have they changed the worship of God in our nation into a bunch of entertainment and fables this morning? Except for a few pulpits for which we have prayed. Heaven was interested. The devil knew heaven was interested. The devil said, cast yourself off the temple to Jesus. You know and I know God will send his angels to bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Even the devil knew that the angels were all interested in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.6 says, when God brought him into the world, he said that this command went through heaven. Let all the angels of God worship him. All those glorious beings had to bow and, before a man. God manifest in the flesh. He was seen of angels. Fallen angels fell and worshipped him wherever he appeared. What an indictment upon us that all of heaven is interested in him and even the fallen angels run and worship him because he is Jehovah in the flesh and we take him so lightly. The angels had never seen him before until he was born of Mary. That's why it was a huge event to them as well. Let all the angels of God worship him. They had never seen his deity because he's invisible. They had never seen his humanity because he had never existed before. But when the God-man was formed in in the womb of the virgin, they came and they took care of him and they're still in heaven taking care of him. And you know what they're doing? They're singing praises to his glorious name and they're running back and forth between heaven and earth to be our servants. Because that's what Hebrews 1, 13 and 14 tell us, that God has made the angels, the ministering servants of the saints of God. In our assembly this morning, there's more of us than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. Do you know who has the biggest church in Greenville? We do. They just don't know it yet. And every other church in Greenville that still has its candlestick and is a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which based on the evidence, there's only a few, if we are to to realize and learn anything from Revelation 2 and 3. But do you know what what Hebrews chapter 12 tells us? That we are coming to Mount Zion and to an innumerable company of angels. I like that attendance board. We don't know what to put up there because we can't number them for those of you who grew up in churches with an attendance board and to the spirits of just men made perfect that's a big church to the general assembly whose names are written in heaven that's what we're worshiping with this morning and jesus christ sits at the head of that church all angels all principalities these are the names by which they're known in the bible all angels principalities, powers, thrones, might and dominion are all subject to him. He is Lord of all. They are all interested because he is Jehovah God in a human nature reigning over the universe. And they're all bowing their knees to him. And we see the elect angels celebrating with the elect in heaven, and they're celebrating with us this morning. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Mm -hmm. God was manifest in the flesh. Jehovah came to earth justified in the spirit no matter what men said of him and no matter that they put him to death. He was justified in the spirit by the resurrection from the dead and he was seen of angels because heaven itself adores the man Christ Jesus whom I hope you love and adore this morning Mm -hmm. and you want to obey every word of his lips and honor him for the rest of your lives and look forward to being in heaven where you can worship him uninterrupted forever and ever and ever. May Jesus Christ be praised.